how is my endeavor into Twin Peaks? Yes. Did you hate it immediately or did you actually like it? <laughs> when I watched the first, I had to power through the first episode. Cause I'm like, what is going on in this show? Okay. Um, and I tried, my history with Twin Peaks is, which I want to know your history too. Cause I think coming to these shows being some of our favorite shows and being 20 years old or more is an interesting topic in and of itself. But mm-hmm. um, I had, because I've known about Twin Peaks and it's been on streaming for a long time. It's been on Netflix. It's been on right. Hulu. I think it's also on. It's on all of them. I think it's on Amazon Prime as well. Um, and I, you know, I I know people who I I know we have similar tastes and they like it. And I know it's like this cult phenomenon thing. And I tend to like those kind of things. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I should like this. But no one, I haven't really known anybody that is like a a big, big fan to be like, you need to watch it and like, could like guide me a little bit rather than just saying, watch the entire thing. And yeah. At least not anymore. Like maybe 10, 15 years ago. But I think it's definitely like crested and is back down a little bit. Yeah. So... Yeah, I had to like kind of power through the first episode, which is like a two-parter, which I didn't know at the when, on the outside of this. It's actually I totally forgot it, it's that. It's like too. a movie. I forgot it's like a full. It's a two-hour for TV premiere, so it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So I immediately liked um, Agent Cooper because he's just quirky mm-hmm. and interesting, Dan Fine Coffee and all, and. But then everyone else, I'm like, what is this town? And why is everybody weird? And why is everybody crying all the time? <laughs> and, like, everybody's weird. It's not just, like, the yeah. Palmer family or, you know, the sheriff. or it's, it's everybody. Yeah. Some of them are, yeah, everyone's a little kooky most of the time in a fun way. Yeah. But, yeah, my... One of the things I've heard repeatedly is that the worst part of the show is uh, the mother just yelling and screaming all the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it too. <laughs> yeah. So tell me how you came upon Twin Peaks. So mine was not that long ago. Uh, it was only a couple years ago. Um, I think I had always known it was... I'd always known it was very cult classic-y. Um, I always knew it was kind of weird. So it was like, I, I knew I it was something that I could like. Um, and I'd remember taking, like, going to trivia, um, go, you know, going to trivia nights and you hear questions about, like, what is this audio from? And it was a bit about, like, Laura Palmer and stuff like that. Uh, so it was sort of in my zeitgeist a little bit. And then with the new show that came out on um, Showtime, I think, Showtime, the third season, which is, uh, what's the name of it? Twin Peaks, The Return, or something like that. Uh, I started getting more interested, and then I found um, somebody who I, I like the tech show of, who I follow in the tech community, is Tom Merritt. And he did a podcast, an episode-by-episode episode breakdown of Twin Peaks, all of the first two episodes recounting them with um another guy named ron richards who did like android stuff he was kind of prominent in that's in that space uh so i would listen to those and i kind of listened to them mostly simultaneously uh and i think i was i didn't start it right when that podcast started but at some point i had then like watch an episode listen to the recount you know watch one or two episodes and listen to the podcast recount and then they went into the the new season for the first time and they would record right after listening to that. So I had, I didn't start until the entire season was over and done for. So even then it was only about a year and a half ago or so. Um, and just really enjoyed it. It was really just something that I could sink my teeth into was kind of unique. It wasn't, I don't know. It's not like trying to watch the office when everyone knows it and has an opinion on it. Like it was something I was able to kind of discover even though it was with the podcast and all this other, you know, these few other things, it was something that I sort of got to discover alone, you know, from my peers and stuff. Like I knew none of my friends had really ever watched it or anything like that. Um, so yeah, just really enjoying it. And like I said, with this challenge, I wanted you to at least try to get through the end or towards the end of the third episode, which I guess we'll get to. 
which yeah. was the first time in the Black Lodge or the Red Room. Um, and it, it was just one of those things. Like there were moments of this show, like there were some cheesy parts, and there were parts where I kept wanting to dive more and more into the lore. And I just really kind of fell in love with the lore of it. I liked the grittiness of it being an older show. And it's actually a point that I want to get to once we talk about the the episodes that I watched of TNG and then the newer episode of Discovery. Um, a point that I, I really thought about. But it was just something that I just kind of fell in love with the lore. And I, I fell in love with the characters more than I thought I did. Which I definitely discovered as I watched the new season. Um... And yeah, it was just it was just something cool. Like I was it was just something that I was floored by. And even though there are there are a lot of rough parts and there there is there are a lot of parts that are super nineties and painful in some ways, there are moments of that show that are the best moments of TV I've ever seen. I think um it definitely benefits from something like a pop maybe something like a podcast walkthrough of it just so like because th- these episodes i think benefit from uh a- analysis right mm-hmm. there's they're not um just something that you can watch while you're like on your phone it like doesn't work and that's like a lot of tv now you can watch while you're on your phone and that's something that i've i've had friends who have tried to start it um whether I don't think with my recommendation, like just had said they had once tried to start it and like the song, the intro song is really long and really slow. And that's something that I had to kind of learn and then be able to justify to be like, well, yeah, a David Lynch is insane and <laughs> is weird and does things that are designed to be painful. And like, I think not in a, not to the show's credit all the time. Um, but like the song is sort of the intro song is sort of, supposed to get you I feel like it's supposed to kind of put you in a trance like this this show aired in I think 89 was when the premiere happened so it's not like they had you know the internet essentially or certainly not smartphones or anything like that but I think today it's sort of used in a way that's like slow down everything like get yourself in this weird dreamy state and then enter into this weird town of Twin Peaks yeah, and I think uh, it does show its age in in that effect. And I think when we talk about Star Trek Two, we'll we'll get into some things that show their age. But um, in the fact that it has like this '90s slowness to plot and mm-hmm. to sort of how episodes are laid out, um, like I don't think if Twin Peaks was done today, maybe it would because David Lynch is David Lynch. But if Twin Peaks was done today. Um, it would not get on the air with that pilot, I don't think. Probably not with the slowness. Right. It, it would have to be handled a little I think, bit differently. I but. think if they took kind of what you recommended, which is these three episodes, that and that was somehow done into a pi- into a two-hour pilot, that would be something that would be very interesting. Because like now, I, as I've been starting some like watching some new shows that are more contemporary shows um, that I've never heard of. Like, there's some TNT show that I just started watching, and I'm like, oh, this is a very interesting show. And mm-hmm. um, every episode has a cliffhanger, basically. Or it had, you know, and it, they really want you to watch more. They really built it to be, even though it was airing on TNT, um, like, uh, you know, weekly as, like, yeah. a regular episode, they definitely built it to eventually be binge you know, binged. Which would be interesting to think about, like compared to TV shows that are released concurrently nowadays. But yeah, that's good. Well, that's a fair point. Just in that the, the show is also, it's, it's not about the murder. Most of the time, like the show is actually about the characters and about Cooper and his transformations more than just about anything. And then the show sort of mirrors those, you know, those weird idiosyncrasies. And then the the murder is sort of the MacGuffin into the town more than it is vice versa. Right. That that was sort of by the end what the sense 
I was getting was. But yeah, once it got past season, or episode one into episode two where Cooper is like actively being quirky and trying to investigate this, that part was interesting to me. And then mm-hmm. obviously the end of episode three was like very interesting. I'm like, okay, now what the hell's going on? Right. So like this is a now this is like almost a different show now when that happened. Yeah. And once you get into that area, I forget exactly how much knowledge is known at that point, but once you get into that black lodge, the very that weird mystical realm kind of thing. Um yeah, were there standout moments or moments that you thought were particularly weak or what, what were the ports because it does sound like there were moments where you really latched on to it yeah those were the moments i latched on to that i just yeah those are the two big moments and that the the episodes at least after that first episode felt so long and drown like drawn out after watching the other two which are equal you know, like 40 minutes each they felt they like flew by compared to yeah. the first one though things i didn't like was like the melodrama uh and like you know, like, am I supposed to believe everybody in this town is crying over Laura Palmer? Like, <laughs> that maybe that's just something that maybe they're trying... They didn't... Par- if if it's, like, this very, very small town, it wasn't properly set up. Like, I didn't really believe that. Like, maybe because, like, I, you know, we're 20 years in the future and, like, people are murdered all the time, you know? <laughs> and you hear it on the news, right? And like yeah. you're like okay, well, I got to move on with my life. I mean, it does try to follow how most people that you interact with in the first few episodes have had interaction with her. Um, but I'm trying to remember the second episode. Is that when Cooper and uh, Sheriff are interviewing uh, what's his name, the kid on the bike? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, is that where they're like going through the TV? It like where it's filmed. I'm trying to remember these now off the top of my head, which I kind of wish I would have watched some of these. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched the ones I told you to watch, so I have more uh, context. But yeah, yeah. They, they they were. I watched them all at the same time, so they all kind of blend. Now they kind of all blend together. Like episode one was like felt like its own thing, and then two and three kind of blended together as one thing. So yeah. And if I remember right, one of the reasons I enjoyed watching the listening to the podcast along with it, which is called uh, a damn fine podcast, is that they they also gave some credence to when it aired, what the what the channel like, um, what came on TV before and after it, and then what the ratings were. Oh, that's interesting. And they give a little bit of uh, they include some of that stuff, like some information of just what the kind of landscape of that time was. And if I remember correctly, the pilot did have to go on before it wasn't quite in weekly syndicate yet or not syndicate, but it, it wasn't in weekly rotation at the time. So I think the pilot happened a little bit before then. And then if I remember right, they had kind of seasonal breaks. Like it wasn't, it didn't run every week until the season was over. They had like a mid season cut. Um, so I don't remember the specifics behind all each episode, but I I do think the pilot was a little more standalone to your point for sure. Yeah. Um, something I found interesting, like this is something that's definitely a highly serialized show, which I think would something be would be something very unique for the time period in which it was shot. To not be like monster of the week. Yeah, it's very ser- it's serialized. Like you kind of have to watch every episode in order. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that was definitely intentional. And I think that's why it gained the cult following is because at the time, there was really nothing like that. Right. And there was really nothing as it, it sounds crazy that this feels very gritty. At, but at the time, it certainly was. And I think it was something that at least for the first season, the murder mystery was was kind of on a lot of people's hearts. Like I remember asking my mom if she had watched it. And I think she said she had watched at least part of it at the time um you know which is kind of something cool to see like how captivating you know the murder was and the story was yeah but now now that everything coming back to the bingeability and stuff now everything is basically serialized like i couldn't name a current show that really it isn't yeah at least not 
that is supposed to be taken seriously. Yeah. You know, other than like a, a sitcom or, you know, yeah. The Office or something like that. Even though those have through lines, right. you, know, you can kind of pick those up anywhere. Right. And I was actually just thinking about this because like the summer movie season right now is kicking back in and I haven't really gone mm-hmm. and seen a movie since like last summer. I'm like, I don't even care about movies anymore. Like a movie feels like one episode of a TV show that I have to wait like a year yeah. <laughs> to see another episode. If if you know if it has a sequel or if it's part of this like franchise, and the franchise feels like this, it's nothing but a money making machine. So it like ha- it's like the more that it gains episodes, the less of a soul it has. Yeah, well, that's definitely something like that. You know, you hear reports about like especially actors back in the 90s and you know in the 80s and stuff like that it's like nobody wanted to do tv like tv wasn't good like you wanted to do movies because it was kind of like a golden age of cinema and now we're sort of in you know what a lot of people call a golden age of tv sort of starting probably with the sopranos and then finding like a high peak with uh you know breaking bad and stuff like that right and then going directly into probably something like um house of cards of cards and then everything coming up after that, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the big thing, releasing them all at once and being like, oh, I can watch this all at once. Because everyone was so afraid because HBO, you know, with their shows, they want it to air on Sunday night and you'd all talk mm-hmm. about Game of Thrones on Monday morning. Right. Right. Netflix is like, screw that. Just like you'll you'll like this show and you'll tell your friends to like this show and then you'll just constantly talk about it. Yeah, you know, and you you know, if it's a good show, it'll have a fandom and it'll live for a long time. Did you like it enough to keep watching well, any a- of it? Or? After that cliffhanger, yes, I want to keep watching to see what's going on. So the third, I'm trying to remember, the third episode is you you're in the Black Lodge. Yeah, he uh, the Red Room. Yeah, Cooper has a dream while he's sleeping, and the super yeah. weird dream with Laura Palmer and the like little person, and are they speaking backwards? So, sort of. <laughs> it, it is very hard to explain these moments, but the little man, his, what is his name? It's, oh, crap. It's either, he sort of has a name within the scope of the the show, and it it has more meaning than just what you're seeing in the Red Room. But I think it's either the little arm or the little hand or something like that. And it becomes a little more representative further on. But I just I remember watching that and it was like late at night and I was kind of laying down watching it. And that that part kicked on and it was like super buzzy and there's like no music at first. And it's just this like and like you see him almost twitching. And I'm just like I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't move like I don't want to move because there's so much tension right now that I don't want to be the one to break this tension. Yeah. Yo, uh, same. When I was watching that, it was basically the same thing. Uh, and then, he, yeah, then Cooper wakes up and calls, I forget who, but says, I know who killed Laura Palmer. And Yeah, he, he calls the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, how do I not keep watching that? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I do. I do want to keep watching. It's not that much to, like... Now that I'm like into it, because I think I previously tried, like I was trying to say in the beginning, I started this probably I've watched that parts of that pilot probably two or three times over the past few years and then never got through it. This gave me a chance to get through it. If someone had just told me get through the first episode and then it gets more interesting, I probably would have just done it. Right. But like now and nowadays, that's a huge thing, too, which is like you get no chance like you have to impress me in the first episode or so much so many things to watch i don't you know i don't care and if i remember right the second episode it kind of pans at the very end to dr jacoby i think you got introduced to him he's the weird like hippie guy with the glasses oh yeah that's another thing there's so many characters it's hard for me to keep track yeah, there's a lot of names, and some of them are important. Yeah. But it does a good job of... I mean, it's the first season, really season and a half, are like a giant... Which, the first season's eight episodes. The second one is, I believe, 22 episodes. Yeah, so it went so, from like a half a season to like a full season in the second. Yeah, so once they got, once they got big, they opened it up into a whole syndicate. And there's so much story. 
um, if you have the extra bandwidth, it is, I think it's really worth listening to with a podcast who can kind of dive into the relationship between David Lynch and, uh, Frost, Mark Frost, I think. Yeah. Um, and they're back and forth and who was writing certain episodes and like who, you know, David Lynch is like all lore. Like David Lynch just wants to break your brain with (laughs) weird stuff. And Mark Frost really wanted to write a good story and a good murder mystery. Yeah. Like where those two heads kind of combine. Yeah. That's, that's definitely very interesting. That's another thing that I'll say that the commonality between these two shows, I think made them last too, is like a strong creator, a strong, Mm -hmm like a vision for what the show is same with gene roddenberry for star trek obviously like a lot of the a lot of shows i think that just fall to the wayside they don't have that yeah how so gene roddenberry's he was there essentially from the beginning right even from way before tng yeah so let me i'll give you the quick rundown so obviously in the 60s was the original series the kirk spock original series Mm -hmm. um that ran three seasons um, Gene Roddenberry created the show, um, and he was like a very shrewd businessman. I kind of respect this about him. So he like in, in the if you remember the intro to the original show, it'd be space the final frontier. These are mm-hmm. the journey. This is the journey to find the Starship Enterprise. It's five year mission, right? Five years. He built the five years into the show, into the beginning of the show. You know why? Because five years is how, ma- how many episodes you needed at that time to be in syndication, which means you get all the money. Right. So right. a very shrewd businessman. Also, another funny thing is he, uh, you know, the famous Star Trek theme song, he actually wrote lyrics to that theme song. You never hear them and they suck. But because he wrote <laughs> lyrics to them, he gets half, he gets half the royalties Every time that song is played, <laughs> it's kind of genius. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he started Star Trek and like a, a, a really great thing that I another thing that's part of like the marketing of Star Trek too in the original series in the 60s was the colorful uniforms. They came because they wanted mm-hmm. to sell more color TVs. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Green and green women, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but he. Uh, and he was like, I believe a four. This is why, like, it has a lot of uh, allusions to like na- the Navy stuff, because I believe he was a former Navy officer, and like he like survived a plane crash in like a war. It was like crazy. Like he's wow. a very impressive person. Um, but then, so he did. They did Star Trek the original series. It ran these three seasons. It only ran three seasons. I think Gene Roddenberry and most of the writing staff quit like on, at the end of the second season because of like creative problems. So it's like the third season is like thought of as not really that good. Um, right. But like, uh, it Star Trek. Then they just aired in syndication, and it became like this really. There it was like the first convention was a Star Trek convention, this like fan convention, and mm-hmm. that's when that kind of that momentum kind of started. That's when like, uh, and then Star Wars was happening at the time in the seventies, and then Paramount was like, "Oh, we have a Star franchise," <laughs> and then they let's make a really bad Star Trek the motion picture movie. I have I like right. I, I like parts about it, but like it's not like the shining example of the thing. So then to get to TNG is um, they wanted to revive basically just revive it in the eighties. So another very shrewd, very interesting thing that he did was like next generation is going to be completely different than the. It's not going to just be a copy of the show from the sixties. It's completely different. Right. It's set like a hundred years in the future. So those a lot of those characters are dead. Um. So, and it's going to be different because, like, he has evolved his thinking of the, like, future. And he became, like, he. I think he kind of got high on this, like, this convention thing of people thinking that Gene Roddenberry was, like, this oracle of the future. They called him the great bird of the galaxy, right? right. And so, like, he had this vision of the future where, you know, we weren't fighting wars. We solved problems by talking with each other and we progressed you know he's very humanist in his thinking we progressed beyond our um 
you know, we progressed beyond the infancy of humanity, and then now we're going to the stars, and exploring and learning is our main goal, not war, not any of these other things, like hunger is solved and all this stuff. Sure. So that was sort of the vision of Star Trek, and that's the reason I think that, uh, as compared to a lot of other science fiction, it's unique in that it's not this, like, dark vision of the future it's not like alien covenant where they're basically driving a truck in space and you know an alien's gonna eat them yeah (laughs) right it's like diplomacy well yeah that's certainly what i've i've known the most like i think i've seen bits and pieces of stuff both the original series and tng but have never really gotten to watch it and sit down and kind of pay attention but it's like i especially with tng like i knew most of the characters like i know their names and who they are and and kind of overarching themes about them um and yeah i certainly know that especially with uh, Jean-Luc Picard and all that stuff like it's very you know diplomatic and all that stuff which which was kind of interesting to hear to watch a few of the episodes um, and see him sort of break character a little bit more than I, I thought you know more than I was expecting what do you mean by break uh, character uh, just be more roguish and like in uh, the episode uh, tapestry where he kind of goes back into that uh that's where he's in the um the uh like the white you know the white room like after death all that yeah. stuff kind of the purgatory and you know he is trying to like pick a fight or doesn't know if he should or not uh you know it, it's it's more it's more than what i was what i knew of his character yeah uh so the re- i'll explain why you pick i picked these episodes i get why you gave me the first three because it's very serialized sure but next generation is very episodic do you want me to tell you the order i watched them because it was a little out of order but uh i'll tell you what let me tell you why i picked these and then okay. then then you can tell me what order you you watch them in i intended you to watch them in the order i gave them to you but that's fine so um uh so i picked uh, Measure of a Man, which is season two, episode nine. That's widely considered mm-hmm. like the first great episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and so and which by, I think was my that was my favorite of the four. Yeah, and I think by uh, by a, a decent margin. Yeah, like, like I, I really like that episode. Yeah, I would probably call that the canonical. Like, if you're gonna show someone one episode of Star Trek, you should probably show them that one because that's like that is what Star Trek aspires to be. That episode, right. That was what I loved about that episode was that it was heady and it was intellectual without being what I am. So the part of Star Trek that sort of throws me off a little bit, which is we set the phasers to coordinates 732 in the deep space of the 44th part. You know, it's like it gets too number heavy without. But so this was a good balance of like a very intellectual way of approaching scenes without be it was like it was very humanizing while being very smart at the same time yeah that that's considered one of the best and it's probably the first really good one of the next generation the first seat the first season of the next generation is bad i do not watch it and it's 24 episodes okay. <laughs> do not watch it like yeah. uh Riker doesn't have a beard yet that's how you know you're watching a bad episode um so something i've like you, you know the term jump the shark right yeah, Do you yeah. know where it's from? Uh, no. So, Jump the Shark is from an episode of Happy Days. This is probably a good trivia question. Uh, yeah. It's from the episode, uh, an episode of Happy Days where Fonzie is... They go on vacation or something. The Happy Days guys go on vacation. And they're I think they're in Florida or something. And uh, Fonzie is on a... Because at this time... Because Happy Days, at, at its core, focused on Richie Cunningham and his family, right? Mm-hmm. But then they realized like Fonzie was like the guy, so they like re- started to write a bunch of episodes about just like fo- they yeah. throw Fonzie into things. So in this episode, Fonzie is for some reason jumping a literally jumping a shark on water skis in his leather jacket, and like that's considered <laughs> like that's the episode where like okay it fell apart, right? Right. So the opposite. What I've learned is the opposite of a leather jacket is when your show grows a beard referring to right <laughs> uh, commander Riker growing a beard and then that starts Star Trek the next generation becoming good um, 
and there's a little behind the scenes stuff with that, which is like Gene Roddenberry, like because of his great bird of the galaxy stuff, put a bunch of these rule, you know, it's just in general, first seasons are hard. Sure. With everybody, especially in a show that has eight to 10 to a dozen people who all, you know, demand some amount of story arc. So, and but the, yeah, there's some behind the scenes stuff where like Gene Roddenberry put all these rules like the characters can't have uh, internal conflicts, which is hard to write a story when there's no internal conflicts. What do you mean no internal conflict? Like there should not be any daily life. So the characters right. shouldn't argue. Just basically. about between themselves between about themselves, like themselves, yeah. Like you stole the last dinner roll. <laughs> yeah, well, more like like having a philosophical argument like in like measure of a man where the federation is having internal conflict with each other right so the conflict should always come from, from an external force like an alien force yeah and so like Riker and Picard should never be like fighting for the seat at the helm and that's uh, DS9 gets a, lo- a lot into that it's almost all internal conflict because it basically sets the federation in between like a civil war and like what is the role of the Federation in this and how do they act and when do they don't act if there's terrorists, stuff like that. And that becomes right. very, very interesting. That's one of the things I really like about Star Trek is like, I, I more like, more than the exploration, I like the living in this world and how how things are done in this world is one of my things that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but after, Gene Roddenberry got, was kind of sick. He had like a stroke. And then he eventually died, I think, with at, at the end of the second season. Oh, wow. So, like, okay. a lot of those sort of... They, you know, they took his spirit, right? And everyone, all those writers and producers respect Gene Roddenberry. But he... Um, and I think his spirit is carried through through these. But, like, they, like, be, were able to have more control. Like, television writers could control what they're writing more. Tell me what, what order you saw them in. So I watched them, uh, The Outcast first, and it, I think it was just because it was the first one I downloaded as I was flying. Mm-hmm. So I watched The Outcast, and then I watched Measure of a Man, Tapestry, and then, so that's all from TNG, and then last, uh, I watched from um, Star Trek Discovery in Season 2, New Eden. Yes. I think that's fine. I, I think just the idea that Measure of a Man would be first, just because... That's one. I think that's really the time when Patrick Stewart discover kind of really understands what his character as Captain Picard is. Is in that episode uh, because before, like, if if you watch the first season, it's like, what is Captain Picard? Like, he's like a gruff guy, and he like doesn't like children, and those are his attributes. Okay, <laughs> you know. But now, now he's like, oh, he like fights for his crew, and he respects everybody on his crew, and he holds like. Um, sentience and intelligence and you know people above you know above all these other and the team is first and all that so yeah um and i probably should have especially because uh the outcast was probably my maybe my least favorite and i think it was also a because a little bit of that because i immediately went into side characters even though i know uh I know Riker, you know, kind of as a character. I didn't know probably enough about um, the androgynous race and stuff like that. Well, we we don't know, we don't know either because this is this is one of the things that is a very Star Trekky trope. That is like the alien race of the week. That is that's one of the reasons I chose this episode. Okay, it, it, this is emblematic of a lot of Star Trek episodes, but I think this is one of the best like uh, allegory tales because there's a lot of allegory tales that. Star Trek will say maybe this one's a little overwrought because I guess and it but it was very progressive at the time right if this is in the 80s and there's telling they're they're doing this um episode that is more or less an alleg a gay allegory sure, um, or a gen or a non-gender binary or yeah something like well that. I think yeah. it was meant to be a gay allegory but if you relook at it now I think it very much applies to like the transgender movement which mm-hmm. like I think gives it like this double meaning if you were to watch it 10 years ago versus watch it now. Um, but yeah, you don't know anything about this race. This is the first time you ever see them. You never see them again. And that's emblematic of sort, oh, of, okay. sort of a lot of Star Trek episodes. 
So, but yeah, a lot, a lot of them are like, okay, we have to do something. We encounter this race. They're different in one specific, very specific way that is different than the Federation. And we have to like right. sort of navigate that. So do you want to break into at least the plot really briefly? Like of the outcast? I think it would help to explain measure of a man is essentially a, an outside commander comes in and wants to take data to basically harvest his brain or his being to create like a bigger star fleet, which means that he's going to be taken off of Picard's ship and because of using basically a slave analogy to say data is just bits and pieces. He is property. He is not a person with a conscience. And then essentially they have to go to like moot court with Riker who is forced then to, there's like this contri there's like this contrivance that they're in like an out outer star base that there's no like, um, law, the JAG officers essentially. So, they have to like have to have this court made up of Riker against Picard defending and prosecuting. Right. Even though Riker is clearly on Picard and Data's side, he sort of has to, within the trial, be against and be on the side of this outside commander. Uh, and so Picard, Patrick Stewart's character, has to come up with a reason to determine if Data... What if he has a conscience or if he has um, uh, clearly he's not, he's if clearly he's not a, senti- a human? If he's a sentient being, right? Okay. So like, I and think that if that he would is, have, yeah. he would be determined not to be property and an actual member of the crew, uh, which by all intents and purposes he is. Just they're then using this to again for the scope of the episode to talk about. Uh, you know, the scope of slavery or, you know, kind of property in that, in that mindset. Well, I guess that's a good part. The, you know, we don't have to deep dive into like the specifics of every episode, but this one starts essentially with Data Riker and two others who I forget, essentially playing like backroom poker and Data obviously being an Android can run the statistics, knows everything about the numbers behind the cards but loses because he doesn't understand the concept of bluffing in a human capacity. And Riker's able to sort of bluff him out of of a game where uh, I believe Riker had a dead hand, had nothing, and bluffed his way through. And Data is like, I don't understand. Like, I, I followed the statistics. He's like, he bluffed you. Like, you you know, he, he got the best of you. That's a part of human condition that you, you don't understand. Yeah. And those poker tables are used a lot throughout the series as a setting for these like, characters to interact, right. which I love. And I like the other... This scene actually sticks with me a lot. It's actually from the outcast, the poker scene on the outcast, where um, they're all around, and specifically Worf is talking to... Um, counselor Troy and Troy is dealing the hands and she says we're going to play Federation Day and Federation Day is a is a poker game where the numbers of when the Federation was founded was our wild card so it's like That's three right. five aces and another one are wild and and then um uh, Worf says that's a woman's game and then why is that a woman's game because all these wild cards support a weak hand right and that scene sticks with me so much because it's like unconscious bias right interesting yeah um, and it, i think it, about that it, scene a lot in my daily it leads life so much to what the episode is that's, yeah. a, that's a very interesting one that i i'm kind of miss like i remember the scene but I, I missed the scope of it the first time but yeah i think i think outcast it it had a stronger story it, it probably had in some ways more than I was prepared for. And again, it's kind of my fault for watching that one first, but uh, it was kind of a lot to take in from the the personal side and not getting into just like, here's what you would expect out of Star Trek. <laughs> but it, it was a really good episode and I I like Riker's character a lot. So Yeah, was, Riker is my favorite character. And him being somebody who kind of has something to hide was also an interesting kind of sub, sub point. Yeah. And he also, Jonathan Franks also directed that episode. Oh, interesting. Uh, and okay. then also he directed New Eden, the the uh, Discovery episode I showed you. That's why it was one of the reasons I picked that one for you. Really? Okay. Yes, because I wanted to show you 30 years apart how these are different. 
I guess we could get into tapestry real quick, which yeah. is basically, and I'm curious, I, w- I want to know something I didn't understand was Picard's character basically dies yeah. early and I didn't know the history. So I don't know if that's something that's led up to over time or if that was just like, cause this is also in this, this is the end of the sixth season almost. So this is a long gap in time bet- between uh, the measure of a man and the outcast yes. and this episode tapestry. Correct. So you want to know what? Is this something his his Character. artificial heart? Is that something that is I think that it may, plays a I long time? I think it time may have been mentioned. I think it may have been mentioned a couple of times, but it wasn't like oh, it's a problem. Okay, right. It just may have been part of his character. Um, and is the so he goes into kind of the white purgatory? Yeah, is that the first time that's ever shown? Yes, because Q, this- Q is a character that is. Um, been around and he's more of a he's okay Q is kind of a weird character he's a holdover from this first season Gene Roddenberry times when things were weirder Um, so in the very first episode called Encounter at Farpoint which is not a good Star Trek episode it's not it's one of those things like this is not the same kind of thing this is slow and doesn't really make sense and it's not a good not emblematic of the series this actually took me a while to understand or grasp that this was Q because I know of Q, yeah, but then this like god character who just kind of pops in and out, yeah, was I didn't know that that was him for a while, yeah. So, in the first episode ever, he he as the Q race, right? There's a race of beings called the Q. I guess the idea is they're so advanced that we can't tell their technology from being a god, essentially, okay. And they in the first episode decide to put the Federation, and in particular, Captain Picard on trial for, like, going beyond their means, going beyond what they should be doing, going out into the universe, right? You need to prove that you could be responsible being out in the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was more of a serious character. But then, going throughout the series, he would just pop up every so often and kind of just be a silly jester nuisance. Okay. (laughs) So now, this is much farther in the series, so he's basically... Picard has had several encounters with him where he's just like made his day terrible, you know? Yeah, because it's clear that Picard does not want Q around. Yeah, he knows he's like a mystery. Anytime Q's around, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, and you see that in a bunch of other shows. Like, I, I, you know, obviously it's a, it's a trope. I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but it's like that happens. And then all of a sudden this character who's literally like not really in the scene, you know, it's just like you start seeing them slow clap or something like that. And it's like, well, 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 what kind of mess have you gotten yourself into? So the scope of the episode is essentially Picard dies. Uh, his, his artificial heart is damaged and he sort of goes into this half purgatory state. And Q gives him the opportunity to go back, uh, what, 30 years? 30 years to like and, his academy days before he's... Yeah, to where he was basically school. in the academy school. Yeah. Uh, because on the outset, Picard doesn't have regrets, but he wishes he could have done something different. And essentially, he goes back, he goes to uh, his peers, tries to stave off a fight, basically like a a bar scene over playing pool fight that goes yeah. on. And in doing so kind of becomes um, sort of washed up. Like he never really does anything with his life. He never takes a stance. And then it goes back to like butterfly effect present day. And he's just kind of a lowly officer. And then he finally has a chance to say like, I should have been braver. What I, I know who I am. Uh, so it's a lot of Picard yeah. dealing with his, it's kind of weird because, like, is it the... And at the end, you don't really know. Was he just having a... He talks to Riker about this, like, at the very end of the episode. Right. Where he's like, I don't know if this was really an encounter with Q or I was just, like, dying and my heart stopped and I was having, like, an hallucination. Sure. So that is an interesting part of the episode. But, yeah, more specifically, yeah, these little things in your life, like, how you choose to... Like what experiences you choose to have, how what stances you choose to take, how that can affect your future. This is another episode. This why I think about this episode a lot too. Yeah, kind of the difference in you can. Is it worth striving for great things if it causes pain along the way, 
or do you just kind of want to be a fly on the wall, get by through life, having lived an okay life, but having never really done anything of importance? But going into Discovery, um, I watched episode two of season two. It's called New Eden uh, for listeners. And um, I didn't enjoy it very much. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tell me why. I want to tell you the reason I picked this for you is this is actually the most similar to a Star Trek episode that I could have gave you. Like all the other ones are... This is like a, almost like a bottle episode, even though there's a lot. They yeah. speak a lot about a, th- a lot about things that are serialized in here. They speak a lot about Spock, which isn't in this episode, but it's a through line of the series. Yeah. They, so the char- the main female character yeah, is Michael Burnham, Spock's adopted sister. sister. Adopted oh, okay. sister. Again, like a lot of remakes and stuff falls into this territory where it just it tries to be too shiny and too kind of gimmicky. Um, which I, I sort of don't like. And that's sort of where, you know, one of the reasons that I like Star Wars so much is that it, it is kind of gritty. Like, it doesn't pretend to be... Uh, at least, you know, I, I was about to say it doesn't pretend to be, like, completely done in front of a green screen. And then you have, like, all of George Lucas's you know, prequel <laughs> all the, stuff. Yeah, one, two, um, and three. That literally but are. But to be fair, yeah, there's just... There feels like there's a lot of realness, and I didn't really get that in this first episode and granted i don't know the characters at all in this in star trek discovery um but i found that i found that none of the characters were really unique and i immediately didn't understand who the crew chief was or i guess basically the person who would have been in picard's position now the captain yeah the captain he just seems like a bad guy and nobody likes and i was really confused um, I did start to enjoy it a lot once they found the new world where they found and this is another part to be honest like I don't really know what the plot of the episode was <laughs> I watched it and I don't really know what was going on whereas it was very clear in the other episodes I watched but there's a point about halfway through where they encounter a world where there was essentially a, a new religion that was formed and it's essentially a creation of all modern day religions of Christianity, uh, Muslim, Judaism, uh, you know, Eastern philosophies, uh, basically everything sort of boiled into this one thing. And then there's one, at least from what I remember seeing, there's like one character who sort of believes in science and they're trying to figure that out. And then they end up kind of fighting a little bit with the crew as they get there. I don't remember how they got there. I don't really know what they were doing on the ship. There's other people who are running tests about antimatter or dark energy. Exactly, because it's this serialized crazy story. But the problem, I think that would be fine if they aired them, like if they did them all at once, but they air them every week. So like it does get very annoying when they're trying to wedge in this main story, which doesn't get enough screen time because they're trying to put in all these other threads of this serialized story right so it's like walking this halfway point between it's episodic we have an episode main theme that we're going for but then we're trying to weave all these things so then we get when we get to the finale you'll be like oh all those like stuff that B we said that is a takes thing. place yeah. on the ship the whole time yeah. yeah there's a lot there's a lot of telling not showing in in the in this series in particular so I it's getting better, right? I don't. This is like, this is another. We can speak more broadly about TV now, um, because like, like we were saying, there, you don't get these chances anymore. You kind of have to like go for broke mm-hmm. on on like your episodes in your first season. And I don't. I think there's a lot of tumultual because of Gene Roddenberry being gone and these new. Um, there's a lot of like rights issues with Star Trek. So there's not like one good voice of voice of Star Trek anymore. And all the old writers that were like the people are not on this new series. Right. So I think that is a lot of you're, you're missing a lot of that. And the fact that these are like 14 episode seasons. So they're like 20, they're good. They're, you're watching it at like 16 episodes in, which is, you know, if it was an old style Star Trek series, you would be halfway through the first season, which we all know sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that, that's one of those things that if shows get remade today, 
they are like you said this is kind of a show still made for star trek fans and i don't think it's explained in any way to a non-star trek fan granted i've seen one episode in the middle of the whole series now but i i got the sense and what i've heard from like reviews and people talking about it and just you know what i've heard thus far um from star trek fans um is that it it does a lot of good things but it's still a it's kind of a tough one to grasp well yeah i definitely want to watch more um i will try to and if you want like you said it it has ebbs and flows uh i think with twin peaks the first eight episodes are really great the first quarter i would say kind of the first quarter and the last quarter of the second season are really really good and then there's kind of a lull in the middle um but it's if you enjoy it, I think it's still worth following along. There are a lot of interesting moments, a lot of creepy moments, a lot of good stuff. Uh, but it does kind of get into some weird doldrums. And the thing I, I thought was most interesting, which uh, kind of the last point I have to make, is that like I really, really thought what I wanted was more and more lore. Like you get into the lore, you get into the Black Lodge, you get into all this stuff that you'll eventually come across in the season. And I thought that's what I wanted. Like I didn't care about the character so much and then towards the end and especially watching uh twin peaks the return i realized that's not what i care so much about because the lore is like again can kind of break your brain and what is really the through line are the characters is andy who's kind of the weird cop like the tall weird one (laughs) and then the the you know the relationship between the sheriff and cooper and all that stuff like that stuff that is the human element that really drives it together in this chaotic world around it you know again and that's sort of what i see in especially in tng where it's like these characters like Riker and picard and some of these other side characters like their relationship is what drives through the monster of the weakness of the episode 